Healthcare and senior care is fraught with problems and challenges, but we're also seeing some amazing new clinical treatments and resources. This show will help illuminate and uncover the good, bad, and the ugly in order to equip patients, families, and other healthcare providers. Welcome to Senior Care Confidential. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Senior Care Confidential. I'm joined again with my lovely co-host, Joe Alch. Hello there. And today, we are guestless, and we figured we do a lot of studies, and we, re- we read a lot. And so uh, we've come across some recent studies that I think are interesting um, for the audience to hear. There's a lot of times where we're sharing things on why we do certain things, but sometimes this, the studies or the stats don't seem to hit. And so we figure we would try to get, we would give some additional ones um, today that may make it sing to family members and to seniors. And so one of the ones that we will get started with um, is this Pittsburgh fatigability study. And so, you know, guys, if you've listened to any of the podcasts here, you know I'm big on the fitness part and the, and the movement, science, all that kind of stuff. And obviously, as a physical therapist, it's kind of my thing. Um, <clears throat> but what's interesting is we've looked at a bunch of different um, fatigability um, uh, tests or uh, frailty indexes and those kind of things. And so I'm always fascinated by these because they all have a slightly different flavor than the other ones do. And so what I like about this one is it is um, – incorporates a lot of like normal activities, things like how light housekeeping or even like social settings, like being able to sit with an out for an hour with uh, family members or watching television for two hours, like 10 of these things that are that that kind of not kind of they actually exist in most of our daily lives. And so what these what the University of Pittsburgh did is they, they put together this fatigability index and they they, they studied some uh, some uh, older adults over the course of two and a half years. And they found that there was a certain score. The score is 25, but it's a scale of zero to five. Zero being, I think zero is being no fatigue, five being made, uh, completely exhausted. And so if you are uh, above a 25, so out of 10 of these, you know, if you're scoring in the two and a half or whatever higher, you're above a 25, you're twice as likely to die in the two and a half year period, more than twice as likely to die in a two and a half year period versus those who score higher or lower. Well, you know, it's funny. Both of my grandmothers, one lived in 98, one lived in 97, both worked in their yard, you know, cut the grass, both trimmed the hedges. One of my grandmothers used to get on a ladder at 97 and she would clean out the gutters. And finally, a neighbor (laughs) physician was driving down the street and saw us, a little town in South Carolina. You are getting off that ladder right now. I know. But, you know, you think about it. You yep. just think about, you know, we talked about last week about healthy longevity mm-hmm. and living longer. And these people that live longer are still enjoying life. Yes. You know. Yeah. There's something about the, and I think a lot of it's like the variety of things too. We talked, I think we brought up it last week about the study about, you know, I like to rely on this one because in, in my world as, as therapy, we're looking at, we know that with age-related muscle loss, like when you start to see that advance and advance quicker, we see a lot of the side effects of that and the, uh, the bad effects like falls and, and fractures and those kind of things. And so I'm big on making sure we've got th- uh, patients up moving or seniors up moving more to help avoid some of that stuff. And so there was that study about took, takes five months to gain two and a half pounds of muscle mass mm-hmm. versus in 10 days of, of being bed bound, you can lose the same, the equivalent amount. And so what I liked about this one is because it's so functional. It's like all the stuff that we would normally do. And so I like this one. And, and they, the, the authors of the study describe fatigue as 
something that's different from just being sleepy. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, and this is one, one of the things that I run into with a lot of our older patients. I have a, I have a couple right now that, you know, I still treat some, some patients, you know. Most of my day I spent, you know, in, in sales marketing or doing some trainings or whatever, um, this show, but I still, I still like the work. So I still treat a few patients on the side and so on the side, um, but <laughs> <laughs> there's actually my main gig. I, I, really I know, like it, that, but I have to, I love those sweet little senior. Yeah. So I, I can't get rid of them. Yeah. So I just, I love it. So anyway, um, I have a couple of these patients that I work with and a couple of them are really dealing with some really heavy fatigue. And it's interesting that, you know, if you think about how we uh, interpret fatigue as younger people, it's like, man, I'm really tired. It's probably because we did too much yesterday or whatever. And so our natural inclination is to rest more, right? It's like, I'm so tired. If I just give my body some sufficient rest, I'm going to bounce right back and I'll feel so much better. And what's interesting is as we get older, it's almost like that signal is flawed where now the fatigue, like this study shows that fatigue level is not because you're lacking rest it's because you're not moving enough. Mm-hmm. It's actually the opposite. So the fix is the opposite. So um, I think, I don't know if we talked about this on this podcast before. We talk about mitochondrial health. A little bit. Okay, so there's this, without getting too much in the details, if we talked about it before, we, you guys can go back and look at it or th- just go look up zone two um, exercise. And essentially what zone two exercise is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a zone of your heart rate. So you have the max heart rate. Zone two is kind of like, you know, I'm exercising enough where I'm slightly out of breath, but I can still hold a conversation. That's kind of that that range. Um, so you don't really have to break out and you know check your heart rate. Just be slightly out of breath as you're talking. Um, and so what they found is if you operate in that zone, not like high intensity stuff, just in that zone, it actually increases what they call mitochondrial health in actually number. And mitochondria are the powerhouses of your cells. And so the fact that we have these older people who are not they they just lack complete energy. All they want to do is nap. All they want to do is sit on the couch. And even when they're sitting on the Watch couch, they're, they're falling asleep, right? And so they just think they've gotten this mode of, I remember when I was younger, if I just got some rest, I would feel better. And unfortunately, they're feeding into that negative feedback loop of now because you're resting too much, your mitochondrial health is diminishing, your your overall energy level is diminishing. And so this is where I think something like the, the Pittsburgh Fatigability Index could be something that's really useful in, in utilizing with our own patients. In fact, I sent it to my therapist um, earlier this week to say, hey, here's another option we can look at as we're starting to talk through some of these things with our patients. Well, and you know, about 10 years ago, I heard Dr. Alexander Peralta, who's very well known in the palliative world, but he singled me out in a crowd of like 200 and he said, Joe, never retire. You know, he just talked about how important it is to stay active. Um, my granddad, I, you know, I said my grandmother used to um, trim the bushes and I mean, run the lawnmower. My granddad turned 65 and turned on the soap operas and that is all he did all day. Yep took a break for lunch, wouldn't go on vacations. He was obsessed with soap operas and he declined so, so quickly. There's something about, um, our, I don't know if it's spiritual. I don't, I don't know if it's just wiring in our, in our, in our brains, but there's something about having a future that's bigger that you look forward to. Yeah. It's goals. That drives, that drives the body and the spirit to continue to go. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, once you get to that point where you retire and you kind of retire from goals or retire from life and you, you know, sit on the couch and you watch soap operas or whatever, it's almost like you've told the universe, I'm done with these body parts. Now you can take them back. Mm-hmm. And so there's something to like having some additional things that you're working on it, like, you know, some hobbies or, you know, um, 
anything, social interactions, travel, all those things. There's a number of different things. I'm a big fan of having things that are value contributing like to society, whether you're, whether you're volunteering or you're mentoring up and coming um, engineers, if you were a foreman engineer, like something where you feel like I'm contributing it again mm -hmm. in a bigger fashion. I think well, that stuff helps. even singing in the choir. Yeah. You know, I sing in the choir. I love it so much. They're all ages. I'm certainly not the youngest, but I'm not the oldest either. Yeah. And um, we just love one another and sing. And, and it's so, I, you know, when we're singing as a choir, I just feel like we're walking on water. It's just amazing. Yeah. And so, and, um, and I look forward to it. Yeah. So let's talk about that 75-year-old uh -huh. that maybe um, broke a hip, their post-op two months, and where do I go from here? So, Brian, what would you tell them? So... Assuming they've already gone through rehab, gone through rehab, so they're they've kind of been discharged from this from the healthcare system. They're living on their own. Um, I would be very keen on making sure that you're engaging in things that are. In fact, one of our one of the things that we do is before as we're discharging, before we're discharging, we want to make sure that you've got activities weekly, multiple times a week, that are social, mental, and physical, because we just know, like this is this is how our bodies and our spirits and our our minds have been designed that you need to dial, you need to have at least those three things going for you, or we already know that there's gonna, there's gonna be a decline. And so- and, and you know, for those listening who have a parent that is in an assisted living, look at those activities too. I, yeah. You know, I strongly encourage my clients that are living in communities to get involved in those activities. They're, they're not only fun, but you make friends. Yes. And you know, uh, so many are terrified to do that. I don't know why I would be downstairs. I'd be so excited to put a flower yeah. arrangement. So together. I'm so <laughs> I'm know. so keen on those like you um, in some senior living communities where I find out that these are new residents. I'm like, hey, so have you made friends yet? And they're like, no, I'm just yeah. not. You know, and I could tell that there was some hesitation in getting involved in some of these activities. But I already know by the time I discharge, this person better be in those things, or I'm going to be seeing her again in six months. And so on, on one or multiple of our visits, I'm introducing her to usually the mayor. You know, there's all these communities have a mayor. Um, it's the it's the little old lady who knows everybody in the community, and I want to I want to get them introduced so that there's somebody kind of prodding them to get involved in these things. Well, and some communities too, which I think is a great idea, have a buddy program. Yeah. So if there's somebody new in the community, they're assigned to a buddy, and yes. the buddy introduces them and lets them know where to go and what to do. And you know, I've talked to you, Brian, about. I remember a few years ago going to a community with a hospice patient and there was a walking club and it was a physical therapist, OT, Love it was it. caregivers, it was family members and they all had the same t-shirt on and there they go. And the physical therapist is like the Pied Piper right in front. Yep. I loved it. And yep. those people had the biggest smiles on their faces and just, they couldn't wait. Yep. They couldn't wait. So anything, any ideas that, that even our seniors living at home on their own, get involved with your homeowners association, put together a walking club. You yep. know, uh, if you're an adult child, you know, call the homeowners association of your parents' neighborhood and say, what are there activities that my dad could do? And there's senior centers in every there city are, around here. There you know, are. Frisco's got one, McKinney's got one, I think Allen's got one, Dallas clearly has one. Like there's there's plenty of activities to get to get people involved with. And I think that's the thing is you, the, the, you need to have things that you're looking forward to on a weekly basis that incorporate all those factors, mental, social, and physical. And then that obviously is gonna help with that. Well, and I have a friend, and it helps with mental health too, but yep. I have a friend um, who lost her husband and 
She's about 77. She took a pickleball class and I took one with her. It was a blast. And so I guess her husband passed away a year ago and she just went to San Diego by herself for a pickleball training camp. That's <laughs> and awesome. I know it's yeah. so amazing. So there's stuff out there. Yep. There is so much. So get in touch with what do you like to do, yep. you know, and go for it. That's right. You That's know? right. All right. So the next, the next study was an interesting one. And this one was, I was kind of surprised because I, I, I feel like in our world, we see this happening more frequently where we're testing and screening for these things, but apparently it's not happening according to the study. It says eight in 10 seniors have not had a cognition screen. Which is wild to me. It is not wild we, to me at it's all. It's not. Okay. It is not wild because you're seeing people that come out of the hospital. They've seen their doctor. Yeah. You know, I see a lot, you know, with private duty that just don't go to the hospital or, you know, they just, they don't want to know that they've got dementia. They say as much as 50% of seniors with Alzheimer's is undiagnosed, mm -hmm. which again, there was another one in the same study that was like, wow, that's... That's well, and there was a couple I met with today. I mean, they I don't know how in the world they are living alone. Um, I got a call from a neighbor and went and met with them. And so the first thing is, have you seen a neurologist? Yep. Oh, you know, no, I haven't. I said, okay, we're going to make an appointment. Well, I called a neurology group and one of them was on their roster. So uh, they said, we had this person on our roster, but I don't think he ever came in. So, <laughs> so maybe he was afraid, you know, people don't want to know the inevitable. I kind of um, thought that too. So when I, when I saw this study, I was like, okay, so maybe it's that they're not asking for it. Maybe they're, they're, you know, cause I would, I, 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 I try to put myself in the, in the shoes of somebody who's starting to lose their memory. And I would think that I would probably want to mask that as much as I could too. And so, um, but the study showed that, what was the number? It was the vast majority, like 96% said a memory test that showed signs of trouble would cause them to take action to present, prevent, uh, to protect their brain. Um, and 75% they would adjust their healthcare um, to um, accommodate for that. And so it's like, it sounds like the major, the vast majority of people kind of want to know whether, while they may not want to know, they really want to know because they would obviously make some, make some changes. So why do you think people are not getting the testing? I think they just, they're scared to hear that they've got Alzheimer's. They see what Alzheimer's and dementia, it's a long, slow process. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like getting a body scan and finding out if you've got cancer. Yeah. But I, I think even with Alzheimer's, like those things, if you can catch them early enough, I know they're, they're easier easy to fix. Slow. fix no, slow. you can't. Yeah. 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 You can slow some of the cancers you can fix, but people aren't getting in line to get a body scan. I have one. Oh, you did have one? <laughs> I'm getting one? one done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna get one too. Well, we've had some we've had some there there's been some um friends of ours who've recently passed, um, heart attacks and those kind of things. And so um it was just one of those things where, okay, I'm I'm getting in my mid to late forties now. And so why don't we just go check and make sure there's nothing brewing? And so, you know, I'll be doing the I'll be doing the, the full body scan. I've done, done the heart stuff already, but I, but I also know like the faster I get to stuff, if something's brewing, I want to know now so I can fix it um, before it becomes an issue later. But a yeah. lot of times with, with confusion, short-term memory, a lot of us, myself, I have way too much going on and I'm super ADD. Mm -hmm. And so I get distracted very easily. Um, but you know, I should take the test too. Yeah. You know, I'm 60. I, you know, I probably should take the test too. Look, but I look, know, look for some to. plaques. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. The last thing okay. I want to talk about. So this one, I, I can't believe this. 
So there's a recent, there was an article that was just posted and um, you see a lot of different, you have a different perspective than, than I do. Um, and so I'll boil it down. Um, the too long didn't read is Medicare is now starting to, they're wanting to pay for caregiver training. So when I read that, it's like, okay, great. They recognize the need for caregiver training. Now I obviously work in the home health space. And so in my world, it's like all of our, all of our caregivers and all of our family members get trained by our nurses and our therapists, because we're looking at like the long-term trajectory of this patient. You know, it's, it's not good enough to, to solve for the things that are presently in front of us. You know, the six to eight weeks that we're out there with a patient, you know, whatever it is, following a medical complication or a hip fracture or whatever, um, it's fine to help them get past that. But I wanna make sure that we're looking 18 to 24 months in the future. What are the things that we need to do to help optimize the home? What, what, you know, what equipment do we need brought in? What kind of caregiver training? So we are always focusing on caregiver training, but apparently the caregiver training is not happening to the, to the extent that we're now Medicare is going to start looking at reimbursing professionals like me for doing caregiver training. What am I missing? I think that's awesome. I know, um, you know, they're, they're private duty agencies, you know, um, I know in the state of Texas, um, private duty has to provide 12 hours of education. Unfortunately, with busyness and just trying to get ships filled, they're giving them a sheet of paper and having them take a quick 10 question test. Oh, gotcha. And so but that's on the license side. This is, I think, talking about like family caregivers because they're trying to caregivers. address like the unpaid caregiver part of it. And so in the story, it's, it talks about all these different, you know, there's, there's several different highlighted family members that they're, that they're talking about. And they're like, you know, they're so frustrated because they come home from a hospital um, and, you know, they've got medication issues or they've got, you know, mobility issues. They specifically talked about ADLs, you know, activities of daily living. Like, I'm not sure how to go about dressing or how to go about rolling my dad in bed or how to go about getting him in the, in the shower. They talked about wound care stuff and I'm going, if they were on home health, that piece should have been should have been handled by the nurse and the therapist in the home. But it sounds like there's a lot of cases where home health's either not involved or they are involved but not doing the caregiver training to a point where it's happening in such big amounts that now Medicare is looking at, okay, we're gonna we're gonna carve out this new program, we're gonna start paying for caregiver training. Well, and this is what we talked about, you know, before that when I had my home health agency, I always wanted the physical therapist to be there and work with the caregiver, with our caregivers, so yep. that they would know what to do. Totally. But I have a patient right now. I mean, she is a two-person assist. She is too weak to stand on her own, but she wants to go and do, and she wants to get in the shower. She wants to sit at her desk. She wants to um, go around the house, but she cannot move. She is just dead weight. And so the caregiver said, well, can we get a Hoyer lift? Well, we can get a Hoyer lift, but who is going to train that caregiver to do that Hoyer? Right. So, you know, not everybody, and there are different types of Hoyers. Um, and so, uh, there, you know, there's just, there is a lot, there's such a need for that training. They had a, they have a quote from this, the president and CEO of the National Alliance for Care, Caregiving. He says, we know from our research that nearly six in 10 caregivers assist with medical and nursing tasks such as injections, tube feedings, and changing catheters, which is also interesting that we've got mm. private people doing changing catheter changes. I would, I would be having nurses out there today. But anyway, um, but fewer than 30%- Not everybody can afford a nurse. Through uh, Medicare Even and through Medicare Medicare, Advantage. no. Some, like we have a patient right now, the family's having to pay privately for us to change their catheter once a month. Is that right? Yeah, they cannot get a home health to do it. I wonder if they can't find one that's in network. 
Could anyway, be. so, uh, but they say 30% of caregivers have conversations, only 30% of caregivers have conversations with health professionals about how to help loved ones, which again is fascinating to me because if they're having these kind of issues, they've had to have come from, you know, skilled nursing facilities, hospitals, rehab hospitals, and a lot of them even with home health. And they're saying only 30% have actually had conversations with healthcare professionals about how to manage mom or dad or whoever. Okay, at home. but then, you know, those people that are doing 24 a day, hour a day care, and they've got that 30 minute window while the physical therapist is there, awesome. they may go take a shower. Yeah. They may go take a quick nap. So, there's really we not. Do, you're I right. Mean, and we do. We, you're right. We do see that too, because it's like, hey, when are you guys coming? Because I need like a 30, 40. Yeah, or I need break. to run to the grocery. Totally get it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know, I agree that Medicare should set an allotted time just to come in and do teaching. They do. I think. It, <laughs> I think you could do a lot more with the through home health. Because here's here's the challenge with with, with caregiver training, is depending on how they set this thing up. If it's just like a one off thing, or even a couple of visits. I will tell you when I'm working in uh, your lady with the Hoyer, right? It would probably take me a few to several visits to figure out precisely how to make it easy for the caregivers, right? Because we're going to look at directions that we transfer. We're going to look at different types of equipment. We're going to look at you know what type of bed she's in, all these things, and then practice them myself with the patient to figure out, okay, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? Um, and so um, it would take me a few visits to kind of figure out how to make that easier for the caregivers, and then to try to try to um, to transfer or train to transfer that education, that learning to the caregivers. Probably like another couple of visits. So I think it really depends on how Medicare is going to do this. But right now. I'll tell you, if you do it through home health, they should be spending a couple visits with you um, learning this stuff. Yeah. I think it's it's the simple stuff. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, we live in a United Nations. We are a melting pot here and not everybody knows, you know, how to use the right equipment, yeah. the right products. What equipment's they available? They can't read the prescription. I, I had a family, I was teaching their, their um, private housekeeper how to apply cream. She couldn't read the instructions because she didn't read English. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, you have to ask questions yeah. and that, you know, and you have to, you can't assume, Yes. you know, so I think this is, it's so important. Yeah. It's so important just because people are living longer and, yeah. you know. So bottom line, help. caregiver training is important. Very Whether important. or not Medicare is going to cover it, they currently do through home health, but they'll, apparently they're going to cover this through a different means. Or and home care. And, yeah, if, and private duty. Yep. And if, you, if, you have a, if you're using a private duty agency, ask questions. Ask what that training is that they're providing for their staff. Totally. And yep. if there's something that needs to be addressed to their staff, the, the private duty agency, the PAS can add that. Yeah. And going along with the caregiver thing too. We find oftentimes, back to our initial conversation about the Pittsburgh um, fatigability study, if we can educate the caregivers on the importance of those those key aspects, like you can actually improve the overall quality of life of somebody through the caregiver who can encourage those mental, social, and physical type things. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. This was a great conversation, yeah. Brian. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Great to see you. Thank you. We'll next, you next week, time. we are going to yep. be talking about the new COVID variant. And we have somebody coming in and how do you protect yourself? There you go. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much. Bye.